Hi, welcome back to the Only Real Cure to Borderline Personality Disorder podcast. I'm Shamola Del Rosario. I'm 53, a mother, grandmother, wife, and I've lived with distorted perceptions um, for my entire life. A year ago, I stumbled across Brian Barnett, and from that moment, my misperceptions began to unravel. I'd been convinced that there was something fundamentally wrong with me, and that was I was unfixable. As I continued to do the inner work to root out the underlying subconscious distorted core belief that my feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and therefore so am I, I'll be using this podcast platform to share my insights and thoughts. I do strongly suggest that you subscribe to thelastsymptom.com and The Last Symptom podcast. And before I'm accused of plagiarism, let me just explain that The Last Symptom is a free resource that I've had and continue to have the privilege of learning from. And so I will frequently reference Brian Barnett's work. If you think about it, my recovery, recovery is based on his approach. So it makes perfect sense that I will be referencing referencing his work. I'm still recording this um, podcast directly onto my phone, so the sound quality is um, pretty crap, so I'm really sorry about that. Also, I'm still new to the podcasting, so um, please bear with me as I keep revealing my vulnerabilities. And let's get the disclaimer out of the way before we move on to talk about today's topic. So just to be clear... These are my personal experiences and insights of borderline personality disorder. I'm not qualified in any field of emotional or mental health, so anybody that does choose to listen is responsible for their own thoughts, feelings and actions. I've received some really wonderful and really heartfelt feedback and comments, and I'm really, really humbled and delighted that my insights can resonate. Thank you so much for that. Um, I did receive a specific uh, request um, to talk about something today. So I'm going to be talking about that. And that was the fear of being a narcissist inherited from from our caregivers. Now, I've got a little bit of experience with this. But remember, five years ago, I hadn't even heard of personality disorder at all. So kind of here we go. During my daughter's therapy, she'd been recommended um, a specific book. Now, this book and the therapy, it did really help her. Um, She underlined parts and she made notes on it and as she read it and she began basically to pull pieces of who she was together. I mean, one day she gave me the book um, saying that she thought that it would help me too. I didn't like this book. I didn't like this book one bit. I actually hated this book. I didn't tell my daughter that I hated it, but I did hate it. I really, really hated it. To be honest, I didn't want to look at the book, let alone read it. But when I did start to force myself really to kind of start reading it, I did recognise um, certain behaviours of my own that were that did fit. But it, it was hurtful because that was where she'd highlighted, my daughter had highlighted um, certain areas in the book and made, made comments um of of my behaviors and what she how she actually felt so it it was very hurtful i didn't like it at all anyway this book was um it was basically about narcissistic mothers you know i didn't want to be a narcissist i actually i hated that word so much i wished i don't know i just wanted to de- destroy it from the from the english english language 
I didn't want there to be any trace of the word to be ever found. I mean, looking back, I got myself so angry at the word itself because its definition was just so, I don't know, offensive to me. I mean, you probably all know that the actual term narcissism comes from the Greek mythology and the story of, was it not, how would you, Narcissus? I mean, he was handsome, arrogant, self-involved and in love with his own image and that's what, that's what actually killed him, wasn't it? But the thing that stood out for me was that love of self-image and I, def I definitely wasn't that. I couldn't describe my own mother as narcissist either. I mean, my mother was a very depressed woman, so much so that she'd got had electric shock treatment on a few occasions over the years. She was emotionally absent, but then again, is that being self-involved? I was self-involved too, with the inner critic, but did that really make me a narcissist? To be honest, I wasted too much time on this, and if you're kind of stuck, stuck there too, then you're doing the same thing. The only thing that matters is you know that all emotional um, disorders come from that inaccurate perspective about the nature of feeling self and life. It's not just your feelings, it's everybody's feelings. And not just yourself, but everybody. And life in general, how life actually operates. When we don't have that understanding, we don't value ourselves really, or our feelings. So it's impossible to actually really truly value other people. The thing is that we're doing fundamental things wrong. We've really mixed, mixed up thought and feelings, kind of in the same way that you could mix up your sense of smell with our sense of taste. I mean, don't get me wrong, because I still, it, still do it too. And it's only really very recently that I was able to make the connection. Smell and taste work together. They work very well together but they're definitely not the same thing. Roses don't taste nice, but they smell nice. And honey, it doesn't really smell great, but it tastes sweet. Well, luckily our bodies didn't distort our senses. At least we know what they should do. But getting back to thinking and feeling, if we don't actually smell the food before tasting it, it could contain shit. So we need to smell it as in, I don't know, kind of like investigate the thought before tasting as in experiencing the feeling. Then what we do is we get to actually enjoy the meal. I mean, that's what my goal really is, is to kind of like taste the meal in, in terms of like feel the feeling, do it properly in the right order. I mean, look at it. We, We've gone through our lives getting it all muddled up. I mean, can you imagine how fucked up it would be if tomorrow morning we woke up and our sense of smell and taste had just kind of switched across? That's kind of the how we how we actually are in our kind of confusion. It's it, it's kind of switched across. But we can't get be annoyed or angry with ourselves whilst uncovering the aspects of ourselves, even if it is narcissistic. It's really it's just emotional unhealth. And it's that same distorted core belief that needs fixing. Honestly, if we can fix that perspective, um, the symptoms definitely will reduce. And the, the whole thing of, of being self-centered or self-involved, it's a major symptom of borderline personality disorder anyway. I mean, fear of genuine intimacy has made us like that. And I wish that I could say that I don't 
treat people as suppliers and or deniers anymore, but I can't. Not yet, because we still don't get the nature of feelings, self and life. But I know that that will change when we see through the clearer filter. External validation is something that I, myself, I still crave it. Not as badly as before I started my recovery, but it is still there. In fact, there's, there's an element of me wanting external validation now, at this moment, I suppose, in, in terms of the podcast, maybe the comments. But I have also started to generate some internal validation. I noticed that um, beginning of it, internal validation, it finally started to happen when I started to accept that I did have borderline personality disorder. Before that, this full acceptance, even though that I knew that I was seeing things through that distorted lens, for some reason I still insisted on trusting my own perceptions. But again, that's denial, isn't it? And that kept me from moving forward. Almost like a hamster, you know, running around in that wheel and not actually going anywhere. I was really harsh with myself though. I knew that I needed to stop trusting that familiar thinking pattern. I knew it was wrong, but it was, I don't know, it was like being an addict. I struggled to break free from it. But the process of thinking seemed to happen so quickly and decisions that I was making based on that old formula that had proved time and time again that it's disordered. I couldn't get hold and track those feelings, not the feelings, sorry, but the actual thoughts to begin with. For me to actually get deep into my thinking, I I needed to really watch my thoughts, be aware that I'm constantly on. So thoughts are going to run. I've got this idea I needed to catch them, do you know, as they formed to see how I was actually processing information. I remember one morning I was just looking at my hands and thinking about my cup of coffee. I hadn't actually paid any attention to making it. I must have been still half asleep when I'd actually made it. And so I stopped questioning myself and thinking, how would I made that? You must have been, I must have been on autopilot. The coffee actually, it tasted great. Perfect, in fact, just the way I normally like it. But I couldn't remember making it or even thinking about making it. I actually started really going deep into this um, and thinking about all of my actions. I realised that I must have had a number of thoughts to have actually got to that stage where I'd actually got that coffee in my hand. So I started working backwards and questioning things like, well, why had I chosen that cup? And I'd think back. Why had I used that spoon? And I'd think back, what had made me reach in that direction? Because when I did actually start to think back like that, there was a reason that I'd actually done that. And that's how I started to get to know my my thinking. And watching my thinking, I'd be looking out for, for prompts, negative prompts. I mean, other things, if, if I went upstairs to the toilet, for example, I'd question my think, thinking kind of back to things like, when did I physically feel the urge for a wee? And when did I go, why did I go when I actually did? What had made me wait until that particular time? 
Why had I waited? What discussions was I having with myself for these basic um, thoughts about even just going to the toilet? I knew that it's actually, it's impossible for me to do anything, scratch my face, I don't know, comb my hair, anything without actually having that a thought there, there first. And so if I was doing so many things on autopilot, I knew that that was no good for me. Not to get to know, not only who, but how I'm actually driving my bus. So basically kind of every move that I made, every every thought, I made myself question, why, 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 why? I mean, that initial questioning, you know, that self-interrogation, initially it does feel as if things are getting worse. I think that's why it's easy for people to think that they're not making any progress, but you are. It's hard to explain, probably because it's still unravelling for me, but you definitely are. But the truth of the matter is, is that this inner critic, it won't go anywhere unless you actually tell it to. I think that's why the the interrogation and the question in it, it's painful. Because it's scary to face it. We don't want to hear that voice. It's, Please be silent, but it's not silent. Just duller for the moment as you kind of try to avoid, avoid it by doing something. Like playing, I don't know, Candy Crush. In my case, um, Spider Solitaire. It doesn't work. I spent a good few months um, purely focused, purely focused just on wrestling with that inner critic and questioning and questioning and questioning all of my thoughts, every little thing. It was ugly. Uh, Shame was strong, but I had actually made it strong. It was Brian's uh, podcast. That's where I got the accurate information to help me fight it and recognise that falsehood. I mean, without that, I'd still be stuck. But that's what it does. It keeps you stuck. It stops you from getting better. It stops you from getting to guilt. Because guilt actually helps you do better. It's constructive. It, It kind of drives you on to do something. That inner critic and shame... It says, just give up, give up, you can't do any better. But guilt says, you can, and it just gives you that chance to do better. But we need to be gentle with ourselves and remember that that as a child growing up, we were really good at denying, numbing and compensating for our feelings. So we do need to be gentle with ourselves. And I found a quote to close with, not sure of the author, but I think it's fitting. Owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we'll ever do. As ever, I really appreciate your feedback and comments and I hope you all subscribe too. I'm trying to work out how to add another pla- add this um, thing to other platforms, but I'm not really very techy and everything seems techy to me. But I'm sure I'll get there in the end. I hope you all have a great weekend. My, my husband finally arrived home yesterday so I can put him to work in the garden and crack the whip while I relax. No, no, I'm only joking really. But yeah, take care and have a great weekend. Bye.